0: We welcome you again to Life Shape, and uh, we're going to get on now with our teaching. And uh, we're in the second module, or the second quarter of this year, and we're in block twelve. That's amazing how the year has gone by. And tonight's subject uh, for Life Shape Prayer and Discipleship is eternal life. Amen. How many of you know you're going to live forever? Well, the truth is, you're going to live forever somewhere. Amen. <laughs> Whether you know the Lord or not, you're going to live forever somewhere. You just uh, got to make sure where you're going to go, right? Amen. When a person's born again, they become a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away and all things become new. Does anybody know what that, where that scripture is? Come on. Where is it found in la Biblia? no close but next book after 1 Corinthians is right and what's the number after 4 and the number after 16 is very good you got it 2 Corinthians 517 that's awesome amazing uh, along with salvation come many new creation realities amen we get blessings and benefits and opportunities as new believers in Christ one new creation benefit is the reality of eternal life. Everybody say eternal life. Eternal life. John 3.16, a wonderful passage of Scripture. Our, one of our favorite verses, no doubt. For God so loved the world that... It, let's read it together, shall we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, amen. The context for this scripture, here is the demonstration of God's love for the world is shown in the lifting up of the Son of Man on the cross. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness and the people looked to the bronze serpent in the wilderness and were healed as a result, Jesus said, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that is on the cross, and as a result then all who look to Christ are brought healing and deliverance, amen. And that is the context of God so loving the world. God's ultimate demonstration of love for the world is Christ crucified. D.A. Carson says that this verse shows that God's love is not restricted by race. He loves the whole world. Amen. And God's love is to be admired not because the world is so big and includes so many people, but because the world is so bad. Okay? Very interesting point. The world is so bad. Now, the Greek word for world here is cosmos. Everybody say cosmos. The created order or arrangement of human beings and human affairs in rebellion against its maker. Basically, that's how this word is used, especially in the book of John and in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Throughout John, mostly in a negative sense and every once in a while in a neutral sense, like the whole world can't contain all the books that could be written about Jesus. That's sort of a neutral application of this particular word. But cosmos in general in the Scripture has this negative connotation as containing all that is essentially rebelling against Almighty God. And the reason, and and thus we have the admonishment in 1 John, not to love the world nor the things of the world, which is cosmos, or cosmos, cosmos, let's see. Billions and billions, Carl Sagan. Anyway, the great, the cosmos, the great promise of God to all who believe and receive that salvation through Christ is eternal life. Uh, In fact, in the cosmos, there aren't no believers. And the fact that God loves the world that has no believers because it's antithetical to the the whole world of God's purpose and plan. That's the beauty of it. God loves us even when we're bad. There's a good ac- application. Amen? Because when we're born, we're part of the bad. Okay? We're, not, we're not born good. We are born bad. We're born in sin. We have Adam's sin. Therefore, we're under the judgment of God. If we don't believe in Christ, we will perish eternally rather than live in eternal uh, glory. So here's our key scripture for tonight, 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. God's promise is eternal life. The Gospels uh, record several incidents where people approach Jesus with questions concerning eternal life. One such occurrence is mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, Verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In the continuing account, Jesus led this man on a journey in order to answer his question. The conclusion makes plain the fact that eternal life is not given as a reward for our works, nor does it come from strict adherence to the law. Rather, eternal life is a reality for those who put God first in their life. Amen. It's a matter of your heart. You know, the rich young ruler had certain attributes that we would find attractive. He was young. He uh, was wealthy. He possessed administrative abilities. He was religious. He had a basic moral compass. He had a desire to fill or fulfill what was lacking in his life, he asked Jesus, what do I still lack? He was capable of expressing some degree of awareness of his limitation, and he possessed an awareness and a curiosity after trending thought and philosophy because he was chasing the coolest rabbi around, okay? So he runs up to him, and he has some humility about him, and he falls at the feet of Jesus and said, I want to inherit eternal life. What must I do? What do I still lack? He called Jesus even a good teacher. He recognized that Jesus had some qualities about him. He was the cool philosopher of his day. But he was very misguided. He missed the mark. You know, it's not possible to just meet Jesus and just add him or one of his teachings to make your life a nice, balanced life. Jesus is much more radical than that. When you come to Jesus, you are going to have to give up everything and follow him. Amen. It's not about you just doing good works. He had this impression, if I do good, good things will happen. If I do bad things, I won't do well. That's basically a karmic view of life. Karma is what goes around, comes around. Okay, What, you know. And most people have this karmic view of life. As long as I'm good, then good things will happen. If I'm bad, then bad things will happen. Okay, But this is not the biblical view. God's view is that, hey, I'm the only source of life. You've got to come to me and not depend on your good works. Job's friends had the same karmic view of life. They figured that the reason Job had so many problems and calamities in his life is because he must have done something wrong. After all, what goes around comes around, right? This is not true. God said Job was perfect, and yet calamity happened to him. So we're not guaranteed safety just because we're good. And we're not guaranteed eternal life just because we're good. Christian Smith calls this attitude uh, moralistic, therapeutic deism. A God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in your life unless he is needed to solve a problem, and good people go to, go to heaven when they die. This is the essential philosophy of America without Jesus. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. So Jesus, you know, actually told him he lacked one thing, and he had summed it up in three ways. He said, sell all you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. The one thing is identified in three ways, eternal life, salvation, and entering the kingdom of God, all brought by God. So Jesus blows away the rich young ruler's relativistic standard of righteousness, works, reward-based law-keeping by going to the heart of the matter, and that was he needed eternal life, he needed salvation, he needed to enter the kingdom of God, and it had to come as a work by God alone to his own heart. He couldn't work his way up to God. It was impossible. God had to work on his heart. Amen. So it doesn't matter how much you know, how much you own, how good you are, how, how, how much you enjoy current philosophy. None of those things matter. What matters is humbling yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the rich young ruler went away, sad because he owned many things. He owned many things. And so he did not worship God. He worshiped himself. He worshiped the idol of prosperity and his money. And he refused to give it up in favor of coming to Christ. The issue at heart was one of idolatry. But eternal life is the free gift of God that he gives to those who put their trust in him and follow Jesus 1 John 5 11. this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Think about this. You know, some people say, well, Christianity is bigoted, Christianity is narrow minded, Christianity is intolerant. You know what? You're right. jesus is intolerant you're right he himself said i am the way the truth the light and no one can come to the father except through me well well he's just intolerant you know what i'd rather be right with jesus and viewed as intolerant by the world amen yeah it will put you at odds At some point, the world will not play nicey-nicey with you just because you're a good two-shoe Christian. You have to choose. We who are in Christ have eternal life. Eternal life is reality for every child of God. Every person will exist forever somewhere. The only question is where. There's eternal life in Christ and eternal death without Christ. The choice is ours to make. When a person passes from this life into the next, they enter eternity. The souls of those in Christ will enter heaven, a temporary dwelling place, awaiting final reward. And these souls without Christ, those souls without Christ, will enter hell, a temporary place of torment, awaiting final judgment. You say, wait, I thought hell was forever. Well, the Bible says hell is going to be cast into the lake of fire. And it actually was never prepared for humans. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But God will let you go where you want to go. There's a very famous quote, and I forget the theologian who said it, but it's it's a very famous one. And it says, the gates of hell are barred from the inside. People are there because they want to be. God loves you enough to let you make your own choice. It's rather sobering, isn't it? It ought to be. When God shall have concluded his whole work on the earth, final judgment will come. The devil and his angels, along with death and hell, will be cast into the lake of fire, which will burn forever, continually consuming the souls of men in torment throughout eternity. Those individuals who have been saved by grace through faith will be with the Lord forever under a new heaven and on a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, and there they shall forever dwell throughout eternity. You know, I often say that there are two positions that many Christians find themselves in. One, tonight I'll just call false faith. A person who claims to be a believer, and this is really would not be a Christian, I suppose, that a person who claims to be a believer can live any way they want. Well, this question is asked, actually answered in Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If I'm saved by God's grace, you know, God just loves me and he, he forgives me in Christ. Well, then I can just live any way I like, right? No. Paul answers resoundingly and says, may it never be. No way, you don't get away with that. A genuinely saved person does not continue in habitual sin. 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So if you're a real believer, then your life will show it. Amen? For those that think that they can get away with it, we have many scriptures warning about apostasy. And then other people live in a state of fear. This is not good either. To live in fear about where you're going to spend eternity if you have committed your life to Christ, you've really been born again, and you're facing your eternal passage, so to speak, your passage to eternity. You should not live in fear if you really know the Lord. Some feel that for some reason they are not or will not be received in heaven or they worry about it. Maybe they've sinned after committing their lives to the Lord, which incidentally we all do. My little children, these things I write to you that you sin not, but if we sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And that's talking about we Christians, we believers. So anybody that's worried about where they're going to go, having committed your life to Christ... And yet you, your heart still flutters when you think about it and you worry about, "D you know, am I right with the Lord? I, I jaywalked today. I, I sped six miles an hour over the speed limit today. Uh, I didn't mean to, Lord. Uh, I'm worried that if I died in that moment, would I go to hell? Well, to those people, we must include the scriptures that provide great comfort so that they walk in the understanding, so that they walk in the understanding that they are, in fact, accepted in the beloved. Amen. And that the oldest passed away and all's become new in Christ, which is second Corinthians and the number after four is and very good. Thank you so much. You're awesome. You're not asleep yet. If you find you cannot overcome sin, now and I every so often in the ministry I run into people that they got a sin problem. You know, they'll tell me they know the Lord, but they got a sin problem, okay? I mean, their life is not cleaning up so well. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) You hope better for them. If you find you cannot overcome sin, you you may find, we say this in our church sometimes, you may find that you may have to reapply. Or repent, or learn more about your real position in Christ through the Word of God. Or maybe you just nearly come to Jesus and you don't know certain things are wrong. I've met people like that. You know, we've had some couples come and they're just living together. They're not married. They're just living together. Been doing it for years. Had no idea that at some point that would probably be displeasing to God. And that God would want them to get married. But, you know, when they come to Christ and everything's new, what do you do? Do you hit them with the hammer? You go, okay, now that you're saved, you need to get married? Well, it depends on the situation. But, you know, sometimes you just have to let the Holy Spirit work on their hearts, you know. And, and suddenly you'll find all of a sudden, you know what? God just spoke to me. I, I need to quit this. I, or I need to get married or I need to quit this habit or... You know the old stuff begins to drop away. Amen. So you have to have grace with people, but sometimes people just need to reapply I, sometimes people come up pray the prayer pray the sinner's prayer and seem like everything's cool, but if they're light if next week and the week after that they don't have a hunger for the word of God and they don't want to hang around with other Christians and and they don't want to come to church and they're still you know Still doing all that? Well, then, you know, they might need to reapply. (laughs) Something didn't quite take. We don't want people just to pray the sinner's prayer and leave unchanged. Amen? Amen? We want people to come to real repentance and real faith. That's exemplified by true life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. We need people to have an assurance of their salvation. God wants you to be confident that you are born again. Amen. Some questions to ask. Do I have a present trust in Jesus as my Savior? Do I have an active daily faith and relationship with the Lord? Is there evidence that the Lord is at work in my life? If you were hauled into court for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Is my life actually manifesting the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the character of Christ? Am I growing in the Lord? Looking back, have I grown in my Christian faith? Ask yourself, do I have a hunger for the Word of God and sound teaching? Do I desire the fellowship of other believers? Do I have a desire to share my faith? Am I obedient to the leading of the Spirit and the clear commands of Scripture? Do I accept guidance and teaching and correction from pastors and leaders and close friends with a humble and pliable heart attitude? And I met some people, boy, one Sunday they're up, just, you know, save me, Lord. You know, they're just trying so hard to get God to touch their life. And, and man few months go on and their life hasn't changed an iota I got them a new girlfriend and you try to approach them and say you know the lord loves you but you know you need to kind of fix some of this you know let's let's look at the word of god here and just kind of you know let's help you along in your christian experience your christian life come on some of this stuff should be dropping off your life you know you, should, you probably probably don't need to be doing that get all prideful and storm off who do you think you are trying to tell me how to live my life a few weeks later the police are knocking on their door (laughs) jailhouse conversion not that there aren't real ones Does sin convict me or does it grieve me when I see it in others? You have to ask yourself these questions. Our assurance of salvation, Dr. Constable says, rests on the testimony of God, his promise. It does not rest on the presence of spiritual fruit. It rests on God's word, not on my works. But you can have faith that God loves you and keeps you. Amen? To those who are fearful, I just want to share this one confusing thing that'll just leave you in the dust and then you don't have to think about it anymore until 1st year Greek. All right? <clears throat> Emphatic negation subjunctive. That's a fancy term uh, that means, you know, something cool. This, this is a construct in the Greek New Testament. I'm throwing it out there for those that might be interested in it. Um, which consists of the words umi plus an aorist subjunctive verb. Okay, never mind what all that means. What that means is it denies the potentiality, not just the certainty of event. It's the strongest way to say something cannot happen in the Greek New Testament. So in Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, my words will only not at all pass away. Amen to that, right? In other words, this construct says there is no potential at all that the word of Christ will pass away. Praise God. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will not at all perish. Hallelujah. A great promise of eternal life. You can have assurance. John eleven twenty six. 26, they will never die. Romans 4, 8, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not at all count. And then this last one, I will, this is a triple negative. This is fascinating, Hebrews 13. I will not at all fail you, nor will I ever leave you. Isn't that beautiful? And some, some people interpret this to say, I will never, no, never, no, never leave you. This is great assurance for those of you who are afraid that you're going to mess up tomorrow and that if you died that moment, that you would end up in hell. You need to have assurance of your salvation. Confidence, it's based not on your works, but on God's grace through the word of God. Amen? All right, well, it's going to speed ahead. Speed ahead. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, Promised before the ages began. Wow. Two more things. Revelation 20, I can't leave you without them. Throw it up there if you would, Charlotte. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them, and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. The death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The idea is this, if you don't believe in Jesus and you're at the great white throne judgment, then you are punished on the basis of what you did in this life. But for all those who believe in Christ, you were accepted into heaven on the basis of what Jesus did for you. Hallelujah. Amen. First Thessalonians 4:17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Always be with the Lord. Important points. Number one, every person will exist forever. The question is where? Number two, every born again believer becomes a new creation in Christ based on two <laughs> K- 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 Corinthians. Thank you. The ultimate benefit, number three, of being born again is eternal life. Hallelujah. Number four, if you are in Christ, everybody stand and say it, you will never die. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord praise tonight. Hallelujah.
1: How do you know that you're saved? How do you know for certain if you died, you'd go to heaven? Pray this prayer with me and you can know that if you died, you'd go to heaven. Lord Jesus, I realize that I've sinned against you but I'm willing to repent. I choose to turn away from being a sinner. And right this moment, I open the door of my heart and I take you, Lord Jesus, into my heart, into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart and saving me today. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we wanna help you get started in your Christian life. I would like to send you a letter We'll send you some other information so that you will be able to grow as a Christian and learn how to share Christ with others. Remember the three R's, realize, repent, and receive. Please contact us by writing to us, calling us, or emailing us so that we'll be able to communicate with you and have a relationship with you. Find a real Bible-believing, worshiping church Unite with that church so you'll have a pastor. But stay in contact with us so we'll be able to help you along in your Christian life. Remember, call us, email us, or write to us so we can help you get started in your Christian life. God has great things for you.